0: Well, we continue our series in uh, 1 Corinthians Uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is also a a, a sermon outline for you to follow uh, inside your news sheet. In chapters 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul has been dealing with the dangers of Christian freedom. And every parent who has had a child learn to drive and they finally pass the test and there's that moment, isn't there, where eventually they say, hey, can I have the keys, Dad? There's a danger with freedom right there, isn't there? And thankfully the drake lots, well, we're still a few years off that. But there's a problem here in Corinth. Uh, the application is easy. And the application is simply this. You cannot... Be a guest at the Lord's table and be a guest at the table of demons. And you might sit there and go, well, what on earth does that mean? There's a gulf between meaningful participation at the Lord's table and what it means to be involved in tables that are not the Lord's. Some of Paul's readers can take Christian freedom too far. And the real issue of freedom relates To questionable things. You know, is it okay to do this? Is it alright to do that? Some of them in Corinth were pushing the limits. And so Paul addresses this matter. This section is a clear word of warning to all who think that they can straddle the fence. We might have a posture on Sundays. And then something different Monday to Saturday and that's a dangerous path that's maybe a path you walk this morning and this is a passage that shares the same kind of flavor as James chapter 3 where James writes out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters this should not be and so if you're sitting at the table of cursing all week and then at the Lord's table on Sunday, then something is very, very wrong. Especially if it is us involved in the cursing. Would we curse and then praise? Would we be involved in demons and then Christ? Well, verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, and you know the story. Whenever we see the therefore, we ask, What is the therefore, therefore? Last week we heard in verse 13, There's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common demand to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's what verse 13 says, isn't it? And in light of this comfortable and cozy verse, we might expect Paul to say so. Chill out, relax. It's all good. But he doesn't. In verse 14, we come to the command. And what's the command? Flee from idolatry. Verse 13 tells us God's part. Verse 14 tells us our part. And what he says is really easy. He says, run, flee. Get out of there! Run from idolatry! It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul said, Flee, do you remember? Flee from sexual immorality. And now he says, Flee from idolatry. Which means that there should be no laid back, she'll be right, casual indifference about sin. When it comes to the question of sin, the question must not be, ooh, how close can I get? But how far can I run? And the Bible is perfectly straightforward on this. There's no ambiguity here. The command is to run, run away from it. The promise of God's help in the face of temptation, verse. does not give us a license to run with sin and to press the margins of our freedom. The issue of idolatry has been a problem from the beginning. It kind of goes like this. you ready? God made man in his own image. Man falls into sin. Man tries to repay the compliment to God. And from Genesis 3, man makes God in his own image see what happened there and the history of humanity is expressed in idolatry in every generation and Paul says you've got to run away from it and Corinth was full of it now let's define idolatry idolatry is worshipping something or someone other than the true and living God of course it does mean bowing down to images or objects or lighting incense at altars. It does mean that, absolutely. Yet each culture has its temples and shrines, whether they're office towers or shopping centres, studios or stadiums, gyms or spas, where sacrifices must be made in order to gain the blessings of the good life in order to ward off disaster. That's right, isn't it? That sounds a bit like idolatry, doesn't it? We worship gods of beauty and power and money and achievement and we make our sacrifices. We might not worship the goddess Aphrodite, but how many young women are driven to eating disorders by an obsessive concern about body image? We might not actually burn incense to the god Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, well, we often perform a child sacrifice of sorts, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business or to gain greater wealth or prestige. The human heart is an idol factory and we take good things Really good things like uh, a successful career or good things like family and children or good things like even love and relationships and health. And we turn them into not just good things, but the ultimate thing, the ultimate thing that becomes the center of our lives, where we find our significance and our anchor for all of life. And we deify such things in our hearts and it's a lie and Paul is saying run anything that absorbs our heart our strength our mind our soul anything that seeks to give you what only God in Christ can give you run now Having dealt with that, we now follow a pattern in verses 15 to 17. You might like structure, I don't know. But if you do, the pattern goes like this. Paul goes, think, question, question, explanation. And then the pattern happens again in verses 18 to 22. So let's follow the pattern. The same is on your outline. The first part, verse 15, he says, think. See, I speak to sensible people. Isn't that a nice thing to write to people? (laughs) I think you said, I speak to sensible people, surely. Judge for yourselves what I say. So check your brains on. Reflect on the rightness of what follows. You're invited to do that as well. Here is question one. Think, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not? The implied answer must be... You're not sounding confident. Yes, let me hear. A yes. yes, yes, good. Okay, what a relief. And participation. Well, there's a word that I want. I hope it grabs you here, because what Paul wants to make this very clear, that when the Corinthians share in communion, they are dealing with something that is beyond mere words and action, and that is true of us this morning and most other mornings. But this isn't just some ceremony where we uh, either eat and drink the benefits of our Lord to ourselves or we eat and drink condemnation to ourselves. Paul says in chapter 11 verse 29 don't you realize it's possible to eat and drink judgment on yourselves? So it's not just ceremony, there's a reality here. It's either we drink the benefits of of the Lord to ourselves or we eat and drink condemnation. When people might look at the table as something that we do, you know, oh come on up because this is just the next part of the service we do. When it's just an external symbol or just a cultural moment of no or little consequence, Paul says, "No, no, no, it's not, Paul says, it's participation, something spiritual happens in communion that in meeting with Christ in this way, as he's appointed, and at this time as He is ordained men and women either eat and drink judgment to themselves, or they eat and drink the blessings and benefits of the shared blood of Christ But it's impossible for it to be neutral. And when we understand that, then the table heightens in its significance as it must. Is it not a participation? So that when we take the cup, when we take the cup and we drink it, we should be thinking about the fact that we are participating in the blood of Christ his blood has been shed so that my sins might be forgiven I hope we're thinking about that yet for the unbeliever there is no such participation there's only judgment notice our participation is not only vertical with God but horizontal with each other Where we share our common union. And this is what it means to belong to the body of Christ. Because the person next to you or behind you might be radically different at every other level. Maybe their native tongue, their language is different. Maybe their standard of living is different. Maybe their standard of education is different. Maybe their approach to life is a little different. Maybe they're just plain strange. But this participation that is involved, is a participation in the blood of Christ, which is equally shared for all who are sinners. And that's the great leveller, isn't it? Because we're all sinners. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because we're all sinners. And it is on this basis of our understanding of that, that we should marvel at our participation in this. That's question number one. Question number two in verse 16. And is not the bread that we break our participation in the body of Christ? And the implied answer is? Good. The symbol of imagery the symbol and imagery here of communion is a loaf. I did look for something bigger, and at five o'clock on Saturday that's all they had. <laughs> but we'll go with it. It's a loaf. I wanted a big sourdough loaf. But anyway, our present practice if this is a symbol, can I politely say our present practice is therefore inadequate on a number of levels. But particularly this one. Because I want you to look at it. What do you see? You see a loaf. And it's just one loaf, isn't it? Is there a wholeness about this loaf? Yes. And when you break it, it's obvious, isn't it? We we break it off and we eat from the same section, the same bit of loaf. And if I was to pass this to Barry... He'd break off a bit and eat it. And then he'd pass it to Daniel and around it would go. And there'd be a oneness, a wholeness about what we are doing there. You participate in the one loaf. You break it off. The body is expressed in a loaf. The first celebration Jesus and the disciples shared, they passed the loaf around and they touched it and they enjoyed it and they understood and that's the second question of course it's impossible to eat this bread with reality unless we have first tasted the bread of life and that's jesus himself jesus says i am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty what does that mean it means to come and acknowledge at first that I'm a sinner and that Jesus is my saviour and that I want to be fed and nurtured by Christ truly and spiritually and then we come to the table and then we break the bread and then there is significance for the believer because we participate in Christ with Christ, as people who have been redeemed. And if you don't believe you've been redeemed, if you uh, you don't think you needed to be brought back and saved by a saviour, if you don't think you're a sinner that needs to be saved, then the Lord's table is not a place for you. Taking communion is not about what church you were baptized in it's not a performance or an external ceremony without consequence sharing at the Lord's table is serious business is the cup not a participation in his blood is the bread not a participation in his body and so verse 17 because there is one loaf we who are many are one body. For we all share. That word is partake. We all participate of the one life. It is necessary for us. To be incorporated into Christ. In order to be united to one another. It's important to say. Paul, in all of this section, isn't talking about human interrelatedness. He's talking about our spiritual union in Christ Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're agnostic, please don't feel coerced to take and eat something to yourself that you do not believe in, that you don't understand. Or that you don't want that position takes courage and this is not the place to succumb to peer pressure if it's not for you it's not for you lest you eat and drink the judgment of God on your life and for the believers don't these truths stop us from thinking we're above anyone else if you're skeptical that others don't deserve to be here let's be reminded We who are many are one body in Christ. Let's remember that God loves us and that we've got nothing to boast about. For even at our best, we are still not that great. And that on the day we stand before God on his judgment, the issues then are not the issues we think are important now. The issues then will be the same as the issues of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Either I participate by faith or I stand on the outside looking in. You can't have it both ways though. We can't have it both ways if we're believers. Verse 18, did the Old Testament Hebrews participate at the temple? Yes, was that something they did? Yes Do believers participate at the Lord's table? Yes we do And pagans at their altars Well they're not participating with idols Because they're nothing But they're participating with demons And so verse 21 Paul says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord And the cup of demons too You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table And the table of demons As a bunch of Westerners, we forget that we are spiritual people. And we forget, we're blind to the fact that there is a spiritual dimension to everything we do. Every part of life. We just don't see it. Is Apollo something? Or Artemis? Or Zeus? No. No, they're nothing. That's right. But behind... All idolatry lurks a darkness, a wickedness, and an evil that longs to woo you away from Christ. Ephesians 6 reminds us that our battle is not flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the dark world. And at times that which we attach ourselves to, or participate with, and even love Paul says you know what there are demons there there are demons there it's not of God it's of the devil it comes from the pit of hell and the devil loves it when we find other things to love things that are less than God himself but we fall for it why would we love Or idolize that which is significantly less than God himself. Why would we do that? So the encouragement is to take care. Like the Corinthians, we cannot have it both ways. We cannot think that there's some magical special protection from the sacraments. We cannot think that one's behavior doesn't matter. And that our freedom means anything goes. Don't arouse the Lord's anger by dancing with the devil. Don't even go there, Paul says. Instead, let us find ourselves as worshippers at the Lord's table, as members of his body together, and love him only, and serve him only. Let's be true to our witness for Christ. Amen.